Hello and welcome to the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be a part of this fine, fine program, you can always give me a call on the listener hotline, the number 303-832-0217. Of course, that is a toll-free call. Uh, if anybody remembers what toll-free calls are. Uh, today on the show, I'm going to be talking airlines and airplanes and airports and flight delays and all those air uh, air kind of questions because we are on the edge of the summer travel season. We are just past the spring break travel season, and it seems like there are flight cancellations more often now than ever before. So I've invited aviation analyst Jay Ratliff on the show today. And Jay contributes regularly to Clear Channel Radio stations for across the country and to Fox News. And he's going to be here on the show in just a minute as soon as I can get him here on the phone. Uh, speaking of airlines, I'm actually going to ask Jay about this story. Uh, that, that Have you heard that there's Alaska Airlines? I was reading this the other day. That Alaska Airlines had, has introduced a subscription program. Now, they call it Flight Pass, and they're betting that you will be intrigued by the chance to pay upfront for frequent flights. Basically, it's a subscription program that gives customers credits towards round-trip flights within California, between California and Las Vegas, I think also to Reno, or between California and Arizona. Now, they have one plan starting at $49, and that's every month, and it covers six trips a year, and it requires you to book your ticket at least two weeks out before you travel. Then there's another tier that is, starts at $200 a month. Well, $199, because $200 is $1 more. Uh, it allows customers to book six trips a year as well. But you can book up to two hours before the takeoff. So if you're one of those really impulsive people that just say, well, let's go right now to the airport and let's get on that plane, boom, you can do it. For $200 a month. Now, now the customer also has to cover the airport taxes and fees, and each flight's a little bit different. It could go from, uh, really, it, they say it's from $0.01 cent to $14.60, uh, so you have to pay those little fees. So it could be just a couple of bucks or a, a cent or $14. Uh, and some, they say, of the popular routes may require an extra fee. Well, then what's the, what's the point of your subscription? If you're going to charge me more for your popular route, why do I want to go somewhere where it's not so popular? Uh, anyway, Alaska Airlines thinks the program will appeal to young people like college kids, as well as business travelers who know they need to fly to a place, let's say, from San Francisco to Los Angeles all the time, and they 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 need to do that, or let's say Los Angeles to Las Vegas. Let's say you have a lot of people doing business in those areas, uh, and so it makes sense for those business travelers to then have this kind of subscription because then you just jump on if you're if you're going only six times a year, uh, and then you just book it and boom, off you go. Um, but isn't this an indication and really a indicative of our lives right now? For just a low low monthly payment, you can have this that and the other thing. Uh, everything is a low low monthly payment. Netflix and um, now airlines and, I mean, really everything is just a low monthly payment. Um, I, I fully expect other airlines to start their own subscription plan 
Because I I remember back in the this was in the early nine it had to be like ninety three four five something like that. Uh, there was an airline here in Denver, and it was called Western Pacific. And they used to do these. They they would call them mystery fares, where for just fifty bucks or forty nine whatever they called it, it was like basically fifty dollars, and that was round trip. They would send you to one of five destinations to and from Denver. So you would go to either Phoenix or Las Vegas or San Diego, Los Angeles or San Francisco. Now they didn't tell you where you were going until 24 hours ahead of your flight. So that way you could pack and know what the weather was going to be at the place you're going. I guess figure out a rental car and a hotel. Um, So when I did my flight, they sent me to Phoenix. Of course, they sent me to Phoenix. So, okay, fine. Uh, I, I didn't really want to go to Phoenix, but I made the best of it. So I rented a car as soon as I got to Phoenix. And as soon as I landed, I drove north up to Flagstaff and then up to the Grand Canyon because I had never seen the Grand Canyon. So I thought it would be, hey, this is this is my opportunity. So it was an early morning flight. Boom, went up to the Grand Canyon, saw that. It was pretty cool. From there, I made it over to Kingman, Arizona. I mean, really, when you get to the Unless you're hiking down and doing, I mean, you're, it's just a big hole. So you're looking, going, wow, that's that's pretty. Uh, let's move on. Uh, and there's so from there, I made it over to Kingman, Arizona, and then to Laughlin, Nevada, where I stayed there overnight in one of those uh, trashy La- uh, Laughlin casinos. And then the next day, I think it was a Saturday, I drove from there because I'd never see the Hoover Dam. So I drove up to the Hoover Dam. That was pretty neat. I uh, saw that, looked, toured around there from a little bit, and then I decided to drive all the way back to Phoenix. Uh, I see some sights along the way, and, and well, not there. there's a lot of sights to see uh, between um, uh, Kingman, Arizona, and, and the Hoover Dam, and, and Boulder City, and all the way back to Phoenix, but I, I saw a few things, uh, and then uh, stayed uh, over there in Phoenix that night, and... Um, it took the early flight. I think it was Sunday. It was just an early morning flight all the way back back home. Uh, you know, and and those are the kind of offers that are good for single people or or young couples who can uh, take off at a moment's notice, right? Um, maybe business travelers who always know they're going to be taking that same route all the time to see their clients or or to do business. Um, I don't know. Maybe it'd be worth it to sign up for a month. Maybe not for me because uh, I have a whole family, the whole thing. Um, but I wonder if it would be price wise. If, if your your cost of the flights were a little bit higher and then you sign up for that month, you uh, take their little, you know, their subscription fares and you uh, go, go fly and then you cancel. I don't know how that works. Maybe they don't let you cancel after a year. So I don't know. Uh, but anyway, it, 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 depending on the flight, I suppose it might be an option. Uh, anyway, I know of many of you listeners fly commercially and, and you send me questions about airlines and airports and such. So I thought it was a good time to talk aviation. So I invited Jay Ratliff, the aviation analyst, uh, on the show today. Jay continues his work with iHeart Media radio stations across the country as their aviation analyst. And he's also been a Fox News contributor since 2006. And he joins me now to talk about all things in the aviation industry. Jay, thanks so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Hey, it's uh, my pleasure. So before we get into the airplane and airport stuff, I see that you mostly do stock trading stuff now. So how'd you get into being an aviation analyst if you're doing stock trading? Well, you know, I, I spent my career in the airline industry, and and early on, I noticed a lot of people that I worked with had other businesses. Now, they said, Jay, this crazy airline business, we're talking early 80s, we're just a few 
years away from each layoff, so you need something to fall back on. So, you know, I worked with guys that had a beauty salon, a horse farm, a rich wife. I mean, they all had something they could kind of fall back on. I didn't have anything. So I started looking at the stock market, which always appealed to me. So during the course of my airline career, I kind of had a uh, passive interest, if you will, in the stock market. And then when uh, Northwest Airlines, 20-some years later, uh, uh, eliminated my position and gave me my walking papers, I thought, well, I'll just take the uh, you know, the part-time love of the stock market to a full-time uh, you know, adventure. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was quite the cost, believe me, because I spent uh, the better part of 10 years. I sold what I had, moved into a motel room, and spent a decade uh, getting to the point where I could trade stocks and get it to an 80% batting average. And it uh, it went very well, and I, I've never looked back since. And it was probably 12 years ago I started my own company where I teach people how to trade stocks. So I, I spend the bulk of my day involved in the stock market, and then I spend maybe the other third of it on the aviation side of things because I still contribute to the iHeart and Fox family across the across the country as needed, especially now when we've got so many aviation-related topics. But if somebody calls, it's either because they want a stock interview or an aviation interview. And believe me, I'm passionate in both and uh, enjoy talking about them. So do you have any hot stock tips for us before we move on to airline stuff? <laughs> Look, I, I hold stocks for like 20 minutes at a time. So by the time that, you know, I would tell you anything, but no, I mean, I will tell you this, uh, that the, the market right now is a lot of overpriced stocks. A lot of people have asked me about, you know, bringing some money off the sidelines and I remind them to be very patient. I mean, Warren Buffett has made his money by being very patient and waiting for stocks to go on sale he jumps on them, and then, uh, you know, as the stock prices go up, they sell. But it seems like most people, when they trade on emotion, they buy stocks at these incredibly high prices, and the minute that stock drops, that's when they panic and sell. So if you can reverse that trend and get emotion out of the way, uh, yeah, there's a great deal of money that can be made on Wall Street. Well, look, look at Elon Musk. He trades with emotion and makes money. Yeah, I'm wondering if this latest emotional trade is going to be one he's going to look back at and regret or not. But, I mean, time will tell. You mentioned Northwest Airlines. Weren't they absorbed by Delta? Kind of like Datsun was uh, taken over by Nissan, right? They were, and it's got a really cool story to it because at the time, the guy that I worked for was Richard Anderson. And Richard Anderson got fired by several of the the people at Northwest, so they sent him packing. Uh, He took a, a year off and then came back and became the president of Delta Airlines. (laughs) <laughs> Delta takes circle, over. Yeah. Uh, you know where this is going. As, uh, <laughs> D- Delta takes over Northwest, and he goes back and fires all the people that fired him. So it would make a, a really cool reality show. But you know, you know, it Northwest was a great airline. Of course, before then, I worked for Republic, which was gobbled up by Northwest Airlines in the mid '80s. Uh, and this is at a time when the load factor on airplanes forty forty three percent. I mean. You know, it wasn't the madness that we've been seeing, you know, the last several years, and it was a much more relaxed and enjoyable industry. This airline industry today, it's hard to recognize given how many changes are taking place. Would you want to go back to the airline industry? Do no, you do you no, miss no, no. you don't miss working nope. for the airlines? Nope, nope, nope. I mean, first of all, there's no way that anybody could pay me what I'm making now because of the of the as good as the stock market, my business is taking care of me. But even if that wasn't the case, I, I just don't think, especially in this day and age, where there's such a high degree of disrespect for authority and for 
people at airports where, you know, nobody thinks anything of going up and just decking uh, an agent that's working at the counter, ticket uh, at the gate agent or wherever it might happen to be. And that's really unfortunate. And we're seeing a lot of unruly behavior on airplanes, which people think is going to magically disappear when the masks go away. I suspect that there'll be a reduced number. But look, people acted up on planes before masks. They'll be doing it after masks. And uh, but no, it's it's something that, that for the people that are friends of mine that are still in the industry that I've worked with over the years, I feel sorry for them because you can't hire enough people to keep things going. And then you have to worry about uh, everybody showing up for work every day. I'm speaking with Jay Ratliff. He's aviation analyst for Clear Channel radio stations across the country, as well as a contributor for Fox News. I do want to get to more of those general aviation questions here in just a minute, but I want to get your take on this question for a story that I've been working on for my Driving You Crazy series of stories I do on TV and online. Now, the question came from a man here in Metro Denver in Lakewood. His name is Dean, and he writes to me, and he says, I recently got an alert that said 100 flights have been canceled at Denver. International Airport in anticipation of bad weather. I am really curious about how this works at the airlines. What's the logic? How do they select what flights to cancel? Well, how do they choose which flights they're going to cancel and which ones they don't if, let's say, bad weather is at the originating airport like Denver? Well, if we're talking about a weather event where you're going to have some significant, let's say, snow, ice, rain, uh, where you're just going to have a bad situation. Uh, the airlines and the flight control departments are looking at this and saying, okay, is it risky for our airplanes to operate in that kind of environment? In other words, are we worried about any sort of injury to the employee or are we worried about the ground equipment that might be smacking into one of these airplanes that's going to take these valuable uh, silver revenue tubes out of service? But what it also comes down to is you understand that if an airport is impacted by weather, it, it it slows down the flow of flights, where you might have 400 flights in, 400 flights out. A bad weather event means that you may only be operating on half the, the normal runways. So the idea is, okay, let's bring in 200 flights and dispatch 200. That way we can keep those running. We know that's within our capability so that we can uh, operate a, a pretty logistic schedule realistically. So the idea is, okay, which 200 do we cancel? And a lot of times what we'll look at is if there is – service between the two markets where there's multiple flights in a day, maybe five flights a day between Denver and and L.A. Well, if we cancel one or two of those, we still have three to fall back on. We're okay there based on what the loads look like. If there's only one flight a day from Denver to Casper, Wyoming, well, we're probably going to try to keep that flight because it's the only service that operates that day if we can do so. So there is logic behind the madness as they're going around canceling some of these various flights. And it's uh, it's thought out. The other thing is they look at as far as, okay, if a crew gets in there that is limited on time, in other words, there's only so many hours in the course of a month or even in a day, a shift, that pilots and flight attendants can work. If you send them into a, a situation where we could be looking at an extensive delay, well, then here's what could happen. They go in, we board the plane, we push back, we've got to wait an hour and 10 minutes to take off. Well, now that hour and 10 minutes becomes two hours and 10 minutes, and at three hours, we've got to take everybody back to the to the um, uh, to the gate to give them the opportunity by law to get off the plane. But at the two and a half hour mark, uh, the pilots no longer can fly because the the duration of the flight is going to push them past the maximum flight time that they can have that day. Flight canceled. So you don't want to send some of your limited time crews 
into that type of situation because you're just begging for trouble because everything has to go perfect for them to be able to fly as they're scheduled to fly that day. So, I mean, there's probably 16 to 18 different things that we'll look at that's going to determine which flights we're going to cancel and which one will not. We also keep in mind how many flights have been canceled between two markets in the last 30 or 60 days. And if there's a certain market that has been just hammered with cancellations, they'll be the last ones we'll touch because we don't want to add on to the misery that exists for that market for whatever the reason between those two city pairs. It also seems that bigger airlines would maybe treat these situations different than the smaller airlines because a Delta or United or American has multiple flights, especially from their hubs, that they can dole out to different areas, uh, different than uh, a Legion or a Frontier or Spirit. Right. And many of those low-cost carriers that you mentioned uh, may only operate three flights a week, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So the thought is, goodness, if we cancel the, the Friday flight, people are stuck here till Monday before we can get them out on the next available flight. So as because we can't put them on another carrier, it's got to be us, or we refund their low fare of, you know, here's your 60 bucks, uh, go buy a last-minute one-way trip to get home, and it's going to cost you $600. So, you know, you know, those types of things come into play as well. And obviously for people that fly, that's that's one of the considerations. I mean, we've had in recent memory some weekends where we've had some really bad weather. Well, not super bad, but bad enough to kind of mess up the works. And people have found out that the flight that they're on is canceled. And, oh, my goodness, they're not going to be able to fly for two, three days because the next flight's not until the next day, and it's filled. And they're on a flight two days after that, and they end up spending a week in an airport. And it's not just the um, flights that get canceled. It's a a problem with the weather. It's also now with staffing issues. It it seems Mm -hmm. like any more that not just every business that we try to go to (laughs) any day has staffing issues. The airlines are also having staffing issues, and that's sending a cascading effect uh, through their cancellation process. Well, airlines, TSA, the, the whole works. And, you know, but the beginning of the pandemic, when we had the precipitous drop in the demand for travel, where it dropped 95%, airlines, I mean, they were they were in a panic mode. Okay, what are we going to do? So they went to their senior employees of all different positions and said, hey, we're going to offer you a great retirement package, kind of an enticement to retire early, and that way they could get the higher salaries and benefit packages off the books. And the thought is, is as the demand for travel picks up, they'll do what they've always done for decades, and they'll hire them. And put people back in to kind of, you know, fill the bench back up, so to speak. Well, they, like everyone else, found out that when the second part of the great plan came into play, they weren't hiring. And they were like, what is going on? And sure enough, they were in the same problem that every other business is right now. And that is they're having a very difficult time hiring individuals. So as a result, you're finding, uh, you know, airlines that have a very thin bench and when you have a weather event where you call for all hands on deck to try to get on the other side of it and you don't have enough people, well, now you're looking at a two, three, four-day debacle where you're just going to have a meltdown and it's going to take forever to get on the other side of it. Southwest has had three or four of those in the last year, and I'm a huge Southwest fan. I mean, you look at the history of that airline, they do things other people only dream about. But they have a very thin bench. They lost almost 20% of their workforce through the early retirement. And that's an airline that's never laid off a single employee in the 50-year history of their airline. And a lot of people thought, well, that streak's over because they're going to have to lay off people because of the pandemic. No, 
No, but some of the senior people said, look, we'll get out of the way and make room for the people behind us. The problem was it created such a void that when the demand for travel picked up quickly, they were not in a position to respond, and they continue to have staffing issues. And unfortunately, a lot of these airlines try to operate a close to a full schedule, thinking they'll find a way to make it happen when they don't have enough bodies to do so. You know, it's interesting that people have asked me during these events, whether it's a staffing issue or weather issue, if United cancels my flight, but Delta has a seat uh, in an hour on on a same route, why can't United just put me on that Delta flight? Why isn't there more sharing between some of the airlines and have some of an agreement where they can just get the passengers to where they need to go? Because I think the the passengers, regardless of who they're usually flying with, would appreciate the effort. Well, they do. But the problem is, and we did have that, it it was called an interline agreement. And we used to call it a Rule 240 and, and other types of things where... Anytime there was an inconvenience, yes, Delta passengers could be put onto American or United and vice versa. The problem is that when you put some a distressed passenger from one airline onto another, again, remember the old days, airplanes are half full, and you give them 20 passengers, it was at a negotiated lower rate. If Delta were to sell those seats in the last, you know, let's say a few hours, and they were going to fill up with the last minute uh, reservations, those are the ones that are the most expensive. That's where they make a lot of money. And now you're talking about them not using those seats for that, but uh, taking distressed passengers where they're going to get a fraction of what they normally would. And that's why over the years through the 80s and then into the 90s and later, most of these agreements evaporated, where airlines said, look, we're, we're not going to pay to be involved in this because it's just counterproductive. Plus, most of our flights are filled and it's very difficult for us to block seats off that we're going to agree to take a significant loss just to tra- transport people that happen to be stranded. We'll leave that up to the own airline to take care of. So, you know, I mean, we had a situation with Delta. I'm trying to think of what, what city they were in. They were flying, I think, maybe through Salt Lake City to Montana. They, they uh, performed in Disneyland, and uh, they were a band that, you know, performed down Main Street there in California. So this this big group of 70 or 80 kids and chaperones flew to California. They're on their way back in Salt Lake City or Dallas. I can't remember the hub. And the flight canceled. And it was going to be several days before they were going to get to their destination. And I believe it was American Airlines, so it would have been in Dallas. They brought an airplane in, just ferried it in, didn't bring passengers, pulled it into the gates there at the Dallas, got the, the kids and chaperones on there, and then on a flight that was not scheduled, got these individuals back home in time. You can do those kinds of things occasionally, but, uh, you know, from a, a everyday operational standpoint, no. And of course, you had airlines like Southwest who never, ever participated in those types of agreements because it costs money. And the thought is, we don't want to spend money on something that we can, in turn, turn to our passengers and give them a lower price on our fares because we don't have to pay for all these other things that eat into our profits. Interesting. It's that's just fascinating because uh, I don't, I, you know, the average person I think just doesn't care. They just want to get to where they're going. I'm speaking with Jay Ratliff, aviation analyst for Clear Channel Radio as well as for Fox News. And, and all things being equal, I, I'm sure the airlines don't like to cancel any flight, even for a storm or for tra- uh, you know s- staffing issues for any reason. They don't. In fact, that's one of the things that, that individuals will look at is, okay, what, what's an, on, an airline's on-time performance? I mean, when, when are they, you know, I mean, do they have 
flights that are on time more often than not, and they look at that. But you know what a lot of people look at is an airline's completion factor. And it, what, what they'll do is they'll say, which airline cancels the fewest flights? And almost without a doubt, it continues to be Delta Airlines. Um, Delta went, I don't know if it was last summer or the, year, the summer before, where they went a string of more than 100 days without a single flight cancellation anywhere in the world. Wow. And when you look at that kind of performance, I mean, for the men and women that travel on vacation or for business or what have you, that's what they look at, the idea that it is a rarity for my Delta flight to be canceled. And, of course, I've been on some flights before that have been canceled. Delta's my preferred carrier. I've got a gazillion frequent flyer miles and things of this nature. But it, it happens from time to time, but most of the time not. They They do a very good job. Now, you have other airlines that – like Allegiant, Frontier, Southwest, uh, even JetBlue that sometimes have an issue with their on-time performance and their completion factor. So as a result, it's it's very difficult for, for passengers to try to determine who they're going to be flying and who they're not because a lot of times people are worried about flights that are going to be canceled, flights that are going to be delayed, and all these other types of things. And it, it makes it a challenge because when you're trying to plan a reservation for six, seven, eight, nine months in advance, which is great, by the way, because, you know, you can lock in your fare before any f future fare hikes. Uh, the idea is, you know, which airline is going to be the best for me on that day to get me to where I need to be and back. But on another level, because people have to stay in the concourses longer if their flight is canceled uh, and probably eating an additional meal or, or, or two or having a couple of extra drinks, the airports probably appreciate having flight cancellations because they probably make out pretty well. They do. It's kind of like if you own a, a vending uh, area at a uh, concession park, concession stand at you know one of the ballparks and there's a rain delay. <laughs> yeah. Bring it on yeah. because you've got more people, more time, and, and things of this nature with time on their hands. So it, it does. But, of course, that creates secondary problems because you have a lot of individuals who have too much to drink, and then they go to the gate, get on the airplane, and it creates a problem. But uh, yeah, really, the, the owners of these businesses wish we could get back to the point where you could get past the security checkpoint without a ticket. That way, if you wanted to escort your mom or go see your, your kids coming off of a flight, and you didn't have a ticket, no problem. You go through the security checkpoint, they screen you, you're safe, you go to the gate, you welcome them, maybe go to the local lounge or whatever and have dinner, something like that as you wait. Uh, that's what people would love to see from the concession side of things at airports and restaurants because that's the way it used to be. But now you're seeing a lot of these businesses have been forced to, to um, uh, you know, cancel and, and go out of business, reduce their hours. Um, I mean, I'm on God, more iHeart radio interviews than I can count, and one of the things that keeps coming up is, Jay, the businesses at airports seem to be suffering. Yeah, and the reason that a lot of them are is because people can't get past that security checkpoint. And even though you've got a rise in traffic, well, a lot of those people are running late or they just don't have to take the time to stop and, and you know, grab a meal or a drink or what have you. And these small business owners who've really taken it on the chin the last few years, uh, just trying to survive, have, have tried to make it. But there are some airports going through redesigns. Denver is one of them. Uh, Tampa mm -hmm. recently went through a redesign. And what Tampa did before the pandemic, they were trying to cater to more travelers 
uh, coming into the airport, just like you were saying, where they would uh, they're going to have new places to eat and new attractions inside the terminal, inside the area yeah. where normally it's just for the ticketed passengers. But they give these folks who live in the area a day pass, basically, to come in and go to the uh, restaurants or go see the rest of the airport without needing a ticket to go fly. Mm-hmm. Which which is a great way to bring business into the airport and. Yeah, that kind of out, outside-the-box thinking is, is what's nice. And I'm on a Tampa radio station uh, twice a week, and we're always talking about aviation. It's mostly a stocks interview, but we're talking a lot about what goes on at the airport and the things that they do and, and how passengers are responding. And when you look at the, an airport as being the huge economic engine it is for the community, I mean, to me, it's something that's just great to see. And, and unfortunately, we're in a day and age where people look at airports as an annoyance. Yeah, well, I mean, they're a job-creating economic engine, and to me, I mean, that, that, that's it's great. Now, obviously, look, I'm passionate about aviation. I understand that. We all understand aviation guru like me. Yeah, I'm the kind of guy that stops, airplane flies over, and I stop everything I'm doing to look up and see, you know, what airplane, airline, all those kinds of things. But, you know, it, it's there's there's airport, there's cities around the country that would love to have a portion of what a Denver has or a portion of what a Dallas or any of these other hub cities won't have, uh, where it's looked at as an inconvenience in some issues, believe me, from an economic standpoint. It's incredible. Yeah, way better. I grew up in Detroit, so way better than the old Metro Airport there in Detroit. It was gross. <laughs> I've, I've worked there. I worked there more than a few times. I do remember. <laughs> I'm speaking to Jay Ratliff. He's an aviation analyst for iHeart Radio stations and also for Fox News. The last flight I took was coming back to Denver uh, from Savannah on United. It was the day the mask mandate was originally supposed to expire, but it was unfortunately extended for another month. And I was mm-hmm. reading during that time that the flight attendants union wanted to keep the mandate in place, but the actual yeah. flight attendants didn't want the mask mandate to be extended. So, what do you think the real story is there? I don't know because I remember it was it was we were it was February rolling into March, and a lot of my interviews are like, "Okay, Jay, you know the mask mandate set to expire the 18th. What do you think?" And I said, I, I, it's going to be extended. We just don't know by how long because it's still too early in the eyes of a lot of people, not mine. And, and that's it was about that time the flight attendant union came out with a statement saying that they urged the administration, the TSA, Department of Transportation, to extend the mass mandate. Now, had you and I had a bet, I'm telling you, brother, I'd have lost that in a heartbeat <laughs> because all I hear from flight attendants is, I dread going to work. I hate going to work. That, it, this is horrible. I mean, it's like you should get hazard hazard pay yeah. for what you do, and and it's taken the joy out of what little joy was left in the in the industry. So, uh, you know, once that subsided, then we saw the pilots starting to sue the CDC, get rid of the mask. We saw flight attendants suing, get rid of the mask, and it became clear that the union once again didn't have the the interest of the uh, employees in at in, in interest. Uh, I don't know if they were trying to make a political statement or they were doing something for somebody else, but it was embarrassing to see what took place. But when it got pushed back and it was extended, which, again, I wasn't surprised about, when it was an only a one-month extension, mm-hmm. I said, here we go. It's gone as of April 18th. Because every time that they've extended it over the last year and a half, it's been by three months or more. This little one-month extension was kind of a, okay, get ready. Uh, we're about to announce it's going to go away. Other airlines around the world have dropped the mask mandate. So once again, we're on the tail end of everything. 
And as a result, we're finding that, uh, you know, once the mask mandate is lifted, you have a lot of people that will resume flying who didn't want to fly because of the mask. People like my wife who has, a, who has asthma and can't fly with a mask. So, you know, she and I can resume our, you know, nearly once or twice a month flight activity that we have. And uh, so we're going to see a surge coming into the summer that's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. And if airlines are understaffed now for spring break, oh, what do you think is going to happen this summer? You talk about grabbing some popcorn, sitting down, seeing what's going to happen. We are going to see, if I taught a psychology class in college, I would go to the airport on a bad weather day to study human behavior because you're going to see everything with regards to you know how people act, interact, and those types of things when they're told their flights cancel because of bad weather or what have you. So believe me, it's uh, it's going to be interesting as we go into this summer because I can tell you airlines are not ready for what's about to happen. And uh, if everything goes perfect, yeah, no problem. We start having some of those, I don't know, summer thunderstorms, yeah, it's going to get interesting fast. And, and you know, it, it, it's interesting. You said, like, your wife has some health issues, so that's why she hasn't been flying. But there's going to be other people who want to keep wearing their mask even past April 18th. There's no sure. reason to extend the mask mandate uh, in the federal level because people, if if they want to, can go ahead and keep using it. How many times did we go places and we saw people wearing masks? I, I mean, I, I see it all the time. We yeah. go to Disney a lot in, in California and in Florida, and we would see a lot of people with masks. We'd be at the mall, see people with masks, long before anybody wore masks. And the thought was always, well, what's going on? Well, you know, if they have health issues. Maybe they're coming off of an operation, getting ready for Nobody looked at them with a, you know, down their nose type of thing. It's just what they were doing. So that same sort of thing's the case here. You're going to see people that are going to wear a mask, and that's okay. There's no problem at all with that. And you're right. It will become optional, as it should have been for most of this time. As you mentioned, we are going to see a lot of people flying. It was busy at the airport when I went uh, to Savannah for spring break, and it was going to be, I think it's also going to be very busy here for the summer, as you said, for just traveler season for the average person taking a vacation. But business travelers are also starting to come back. But there are also higher fuel prices doing, uh, due to the rising fuel costs as we've seen with the war and labor shortages and, and oil price, all that kind of stuff. And so it seems that all of those issues are going to keep prices a little bit higher. So do you think as the business travelers start to come back, those businesses that say, well, maybe we should go back to doing things, more, more meetings on Zoom because it doesn't cost us anything to do that, but it's costing us a lot more to send these folks out on the road. I think, look, uh, the, the, I guess the phrase that I couldn't stand during the early time of the pandemic was the new norm. I was like, get, stop saying that. Just stop saying the new normal because, you know, things are going to snap back like they were before. And we're finding out that that's not necessarily the case, and you're right. A lot of businesses that before were very slow to embrace technology found out that these Zoom conference meetings that they avoided in the past were kind of easy, kind of cheap and they worked. So as a result, a lot of these businesses who, again, have the same staffing issues and problems that so many people have, they're going to be at a point where they're going to say, let's keep doing this. Now, will they come back and, and, and have corporate peop- uh, flyers? Absolutely. Is it going to be at the same extent that it was before? Absolutely not. And for people who think it is, I, I don't know what you're smoking, but you know, you look at the, the way businesses are, there's a company called Castle with a K, K-A-S-T-L-E. They, they monitor 
the card swipes at corporate buildings to measure how many people are swiping in to go to work. And it, the last several reports I've seen, it's been anywhere from 28 to maybe 40% of what it was pre-pandemic. So when you look at it, more people are working remotely than ever before. How many of those are going to come back? We don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. But the bottom line is that if it is true that we're having a hard time hiring people and businesses are at a disadvantage and more people want to work from home than ever before, then obviously the bargaining power, if you will, is leaning in the side of the employee, which tells me if you look at it logically, uh, yeah, employees are going to be able to call the shots. And if they would prefer to work from home, that's what's going to happen. And you're going to see a lot less business travel. But couldn't that set the airlines back a bit just when they thought they were starting to come back? They're, oh, yeah. They're, because they, they really rely on a lot of those folks who are doing the business travel for those higher fares. The, the, we know that about the hotels. The, the business travelers are the ones who prop up all the, uh, all the uh, prices at the hotels for us leisure travelers. Uh, and then if mm-hmm. you throw in all these summer disruptions with a lot of folks who are going to be doing vacation travel and, and there's issues at the airport, maybe they're going to, uh, people are just going to say, and businesses will say, uh, no, thanks. It's just too much of a headache for us. It, it, it very much the case, but remember airlines would get 70% of their operating revenue from business travelers. And those men and women, the road warriors that have not come back, it's really creating a problem, and airlines are being forced to decide, what are we going to do? And at the time all of this is taking place, yeah, fuel's gone up 50%. Crud, now what are we going to do? And you have leisure people traveling, competition is up, and you're forced to lower your fares in several markets to, to compete with the low-cost carriers, and you have one challenge on top of another and another. And, and at the beginning of this year, they thought, okay, it's going to be a slow recovery. The, the corporate traveler is not coming back like we want, but at least – we're going to have the international travel season in the summer, June and July and August. We'll be able to, that's where we make a lot more of our money on international profits as opposed to domestic flights. So they were steaming towards June, July, and August with full expectations of having a great, great summer. What happens? Russia, Ukraine. All of a sudden, people are not wanting to fly internationally. And it's like, can the airlines catch a break of any kind? And of late, unfortunately, the answer has been no. Yeah, probably not a lot of people flying to uh, Poland uh, for a vacation no. right about <laughs> now, No, 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 right? and anywhere in Europe. Yeah. And, you know, some of it had to do with the, the mass mandates and the entry requirements and all the things that changed every three months because some people would be like, I don't want to go on a, a European, uh, you know, dream vacation to find out that when I get there, that country has instituted a 14-day quarantine. Uh, excuse me? You, I, you know, my vacation's only 10 days. And you got to spend it in a hotel room. So that's why a lot of people said, look, I'll just find some place domestically here in the United States where I can travel and I'll just enjoy, you know, the United States. If it's Florida, now that Hawaii's opened back up, I'll head in that direction. I'll just do something different and we'll go back to Europe next year or the year later. Uh, but, you know, this year for a lot of people, they canceled the trips going into um the European destinations, and we understand why. I mean, they did it out of erring on the side of caution, and nobody can blame them for that, but it was another challenge that the airlines were forced to contend with. My guest is Jay Ratliff. He's aviation analyst for Fox News as well as iHeart radio stations around the country. I was pitched a story 
uh, last week or the week before by one of the new ultra low cost carriers. I guess they've been around for a couple of years, Avello Airlines, and and they have flights now from uh, Northern Colorado, this little airport uh, in Fort Collins, and they just go from there to Las Vegas. Do you see this as becoming maybe a trend, having these smaller, more uh, regional airlines that can connect these secondary airports to some desirable locations? We will, but the problem is a lot of times the operating cost on those smaller aircraft uh, is at such a uh, higher price that if they're unable to pass those higher prices onto the passenger, they're not going to be able to survive. Most of these airlines, if they can provide the service at a high enough fare where they can still eke out a profit, um, then, then yes, we could see more of that. But, you know, we saw the same sort of thing when a lot of uh, airlines were bringing on those 50-seat regional jets that everybody, lo- everybody loved. The problem is they were so expensive to operate from an operational standpoint to have the flight crew, the fuel, and everything else that went with it. And you only had 50 people on there to split the cost between. It became problematic unless they were ma- mainly all business travelers where you could charge a higher fare. Well, most of the time they're mostly leisure, and you don't have enough people at that point in time to make the money you need to on that type of route. I love those little aircraft. It, uh, I mean, anything under 100 passengers, it's it's nicer to be on a plane where it's just two seats on either side of the uh, fuselage instead of having it three. It's just it's just more comfortable for, for me as just a regular well, it, passenger. It, it, feels like a regional jet. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, and, and I love it. Plus, you can feel like you're flying on some of those things. And, you know, I enjoy that as well. So there's just a lot of things that's going to be changing as far as we move forward in commercial aviation. We're going to see some of these uh, airline companies come and go, some that are going to really hit a, a niche market and get to the point where they're going to be uh, providing some incredible service. And as long as we as the um, the, the people of the community support these carriers, they're going to stick around. Uh, the problem is when you have a new carrier come into a city like uh, Denver, and it's an airline maybe some people haven't heard of, and it's a low-cost carrier that other big carriers like United have to match the fares with. And people say, well, okay, they both fly the same city. They both have the same fare. Um, but, gosh, i got a lot of frequent flyer miles on United. I'll fly United. Hmm. Well, yeah. then what happens is nobody flies the, the commercial, the smaller one, and then they leave and everybody complains because the low-cost carrier left town. Well, but that's because we didn't support them. I flew, uh, this was last year, this little airplane. My wife and I, we went to uh, to go visit my brother, who was at the time living in Portland. So we flew to Portland. He was in this, uh, he was visiting this little town that we went to see him in, uh, south of Bend, Oregon. So we flew to Portland, and we took this little airplane. We had to go actually out of the main airport there in Portland, take this uh, little shuttle that took us to, a, it wasn't even, a, I guess, a small uh, hangar. It wasn't even a regular FBO. Uh, and then... Uh, we took a, I think the, the plane held maybe 10 people uh, and then flew from <laughs> Portland to Redmond, Oregon. Uh, and it was just, I think it was Executive Airlines, maybe. Uh, and they do so these, then, yeah, little small uh, airplanes that go to little places. I think they fly from Denver to Kearney, Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, but they just do those tiny, tiny ones. Is, is that an operation that is viable? It is. In fact, some of these we find that they're connected to the essential air service which means that they, the government gives them a little bit of money to maintain their, their, um, uh, you know, their business. So as a result, they, they've got these subsidies that they, they're allowed to, uh, you know, operate so that part of the money comes from 
the uh, the passengers, and then a part of the money comes from the government, and they're able to keep the service because it's considered essential, because uh, it's essential air service uh, for the community to have if it's like the only air service that goes in and out of the community. Yeah, the the one way fare was I, I think it was sixty dollars for you know yeah. e- for you know each person, so it was super affordable, and it was uh, I liked it. I it didn't bother me. I mean, yeah, we're going up and down like crazy. My wife was holding on to her seat <laughs> like yep. like she was on a uh, on a Bronco ride, but uh, yeah, no, it, it didn't bother me at all. But it also seems like those little airplanes and those little routes like that could boost the local economies of these smaller regional airports and these smaller communities. They can in a small way. Um, it really just depends on the frequency and the number of passengers that are utilizing the service. It's really going to speak to how much of an economic uh, advantage it's going to be to have those types of aircraft, that number of people flying between the two cities. What is your thought on Alaska Airlines, if you haven't heard? They have a new subscription program where you pay $49 a month, and then that covers six trips a year, but you have to book your trip 14 days in advance. And then they have another tier that's at about $200 a month, but you can book up to two hours before you take off. It's probably good for some travelers and, and not good for everybody. Is that a model that is interesting, new, or is it something that uh, could take off with other airlines? Well, it's it's different. It is, and, and they're, they're trying to speak to the to the type of traveler that travels a lot and one that has a bit of flexibility built into their schedule. And the airline industry is such that uh, they play follow the leader. So if it's something that uh, it works at one carrier and another airline is going to be able to see that they're making money from it, then, yeah, it's going to be copied. Other people are going to do it, and that's going to be the case. Because, um, uh, look, it's like when American Airlines spent a year after deregulation to uh, try to come up with a way to develop some sort of a frequent, uh, frequent flyer program, to, to attract loyalty and bring people back, kind of like the trading stamps type of approach. Um, <clears throat> they developed that, and it didn't take long before every airline on the planet was copying uh, some some variation of the frequent flyer program so that they could have, you know, uh, repeat customers, loyalty built in, and build the, uh, you know, the the percentage or chance of these uh, passengers coming back uh, time and time again. And they've been incredibly successful and for some airlines, it's turned them into a bank more than anything else because of the way that they sell, buy, and use those, tie them into credit cards and other things. It's, it's been one of the most lucrative things airlines have ever ever launched. I have a couple of random that, questions that, that don't really fit into any other category here. So uh, bag fees, are they here forever? Are we ever going to see them go away? Is anybody going to, uh, you know how you said that some airlines, they, they all follow each other. Nobody's really followed Southwest in just including the bag fee once again with your airline fee. Well, keep in mind, Southwest allows us to have the first two bags fly free. Well, how many you, bags you do most people with- have? I mean... I know, but you show up with three or four, and believe me, you're going to be paying for them. So, and they make you know tens of millions of dollars a year on bag fees. Now they don't make anywhere near what everybody else does, but yeah, bag fees are here to stay. I mean, it's it's definitely going to be the case. And uh, the the thing is, what other fares, what other fees and ancillary side fees can airlines come up with? Uh, they're going to come up with everything they can because they're used to making hundreds of millions of dollars a year, and because of the fact that the corporate traveler has changed and some of these other things, you're going to be finding uh, the airlines fighting to come up with ways to, to uh, create some additional revenue streams. And I can tell you, they're going to do everything they can to make as much money as they can. And, yeah, those fees are here to stay. And uh, believe me, they're only going to look for ways to add even more. 
So we're going to have those same fees for because this is what Southwest does. If you want to get first in line because you don't have a assigned seat, then you have to pay a fee for that. And Frontier yeah. and Spirit are, are classic for, you know, almost charging you a fee to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Well, you know, look, if aviation started today, we would charge everyone based on, okay, you're flying by yourself. Here's your fare. You're flying with two bags. Here's your fare. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you, you are flying with four bags. In other words, we would charge for what the person needed to fly. And certain people would get uh, a cheaper fare than others. But the problem is we built the aviation industry around things that forever have been free, where, you know, the bags are free or the seat assignments are free or the changes free are free or whatever it might have to be. And airlines have, have taken a turn where, yeah, they're, they're, they're now charging for those types of things. And I remember when the American Airlines came out with the first uh, fare that had a, a, a 10% penalty if you changed or canceled the reservation. And there was a great deal of concern on, you know, would people really buy a, a fare where there would be a 10% penalty? Well, they did. They had to buy it 30 days in advance, and uh, uh, it was called the, the Super Saver Fare with American Airlines. People gobbled them up. And they said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll jack that to a 25% change or cancellation fee. People continue to buy them. They went to 50%, and then they said, could we ever do a non-refundable ticket? Hoo-hoo. Yep, and they did, and people gobbled it up. So as a result, airlines are constantly looking for ways to either create new fees or new things involving fares where they can maximize their profits. And believe me, they're very good at doing it. Well, at least for now, the Diet Cokes are free, um, but alcohol is uh, coming back on board for some airlines. Is that a good idea, knowing that we've had some issues with folks who have uh, been drinking on the planes? Well, actually, I think they've been drinking before they get on the planes, and then they get on the plane, and, they, <laughs> and, then, and that's yeah. where they get into trouble. Right, but I, I think once the mask mandate is gone, I think American Airlines has targeted April 18th to resume their alcohol service. So I feel pretty comfortable that a lot of these things are going to get better as we progress. And I suspect that, yeah, things are going to get better and that it'll be more than okay for us to get back to the alcohol service. And uh, other airlines that have already resumed it already aren't really uh, reporting any significant issue. So as a result, yeah, it's, 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 I don't see that as being a problem. You know, it's so funny. I, I bring, will bring some of those little bottles sometimes with me. You know, in, it, it's so funny because you ha- you can't bring more than three ounces or, or I think it's 100 milliliters, those little 100, or they're, I guess they're 50 milliliter bottles, right? And so you can bring the 50 milliliter bottle, but I can stuff at least five or six of them in one of those quart-sized Ziploc bags. And so what's the point of me, bring, I, you know, not able to bring a, 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 a half a bottle of uh, of whatever liquor you want, but I can bring five or six of those little 50 milliliter things. It's it's the same volume. It is. Just make sure you don't drink any of those on the airplane, because remember, it's a federal offense if you drink any alcohol on board a flight that was not given to you by a uniformed crew member. But you could drink it if you go through security, you put it into a, you oh, know, sure. you, you buy a diet, you know, a diet seven up or Coke or whatever you want, and then you can mix it there and then you bring it on the airplane. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, the Frontier uh, uh, Frontier Spirit merger, it's in the air still for right now. Good idea, bad idea, will it happen? It might. Uh, and real quickly here, the uh, we also have JetBlue wanting to get involved in this. JetBlue announced recently that, uh, hey, we'd like to bid on Spirit Airlines too, and we'll, we'll offer 33% more than Frontier is. Uh, here's $3.6 billion they're bringing to the table. So it may turn into a, a nice little bidding war to see who wants it the most. 
And I suspect before the end of the year, we'll see another low-cost carrier get involved in a merger because airlines recognize the future of travel, at least now, is on the leisure side of things. And if they can bring a leisure airline into the mix, it's going to help them out from a route map standpoint, revenue generation standpoint. And uh, I suspect we're going to see more of these mergers as we march our way through the year. And as we wrap up here, as I'm speaking with Jay Ratliff, the aviation analyst for iHeart radio stations across the country, as well as Fox News, the price of fares for this summer, this fall, next year, are we going to see uh, prices continue to stay high? And maybe your prediction of the overall airline industry, what flying is going to look like in the next year or five years or 10 years? Yeah, we're going to see, I mean, airfares are obviously going up. The demand for travel is forcing it up. The increase in fuel prices forcing it up. And that's why I constantly tell individuals, if you can buy your tickets 8, 9, 10, 11 months in advance, do so. Lock in the future fares, grab the trip cancellation insurance, kind of protect yourself that route. But if you buy your tickets well in advance, you're protected against any future fare increase. And as a result, um, it, it's certainly prudent to us as consumers, if we can save money and as much of it as we can, best thing to do is to, yes, buy those uh, tickets as far enough in advance. And uh, you know, the two people I don't want to give any more money to than I have to is the government and airlines. And as a result, if you can buy the tickets in advance, my wife and I tend to get them on average about 10 months ahead of time. Um, that way we can lock in the, the fares and, and we're good to go. What do you think the airline industry is going to look like in a year or five years or 10 years, same as now, or are we going to see just big changes? Well, I mean, I, there's going to be changes. I mean, you're going to see the next generation of airplanes are going to have um, a single pilot to them instead of two pilots on the flight deck, and we're probably 50 years away from a pilotless aircraft where it's completely automated. So airlines are going to save a great deal of money on that. Uh, in fact, there's some... Uh, Airlines are already working with Airbus right now to develop a single uh, pilot cockpit um, and only have one up there to monitor systems as opposed to having two fly it. So, I mean, there's going to be some changes that are going to be driven by technology, whether we like them or not, that are coming around the corner. And it's going to be uh, fascinating to see where all of this is going to go and quite frankly, what the public's reaction is going to be to it. I think the public is going to freak out if they say uh, there are there's no uh, pilot on your aircraft here today. If, the, if you, When you get on the plane and you can see the cockpit door open and you look in there and you see nobody, uh, I think it'll, mm -hmm. it'll make a few people nervous at least. Yeah, I, I definitely want somebody on there with a vested interest to land that airplane safely for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, Jay Ratliff, thank you so much for your time, your expertise, aviation analyst for uh, iHeart radio stations across the country, as well as Fox News. If people want to contact you, have other questions, or just, uh, oh, is there a way for them to do that? Yeah, jratliff.com, my website, just J-A-Y and then Ratliff, R-A-T-L-I-F-F.com. Uh, they can reach out to me on any aviation or any stock-related question, and as quickly as my uh, schedule uh, will allow, I'll get right back to them. And especially if you're having a problem with an airline, or an airline's giving you, uh, you know, they're not doing what they should be doing, uh, remember, the best way to complain is not to complain to the airline. Go to the Department of Transportation. You go to dot.gov. On their website in the upper box, you can just type in airline complaint, and a very quick and easy online uh, airline complaint form will pop up that you can fill it out, and then your complaint is routed through the DOT. They go to the airline on our behalf saying, here's the complaint. You need to respond within 30 days, and yes, copy us in on it so we see how you handle it. And uh, believe me, that's the best way to get anything resolved with airlines these days is many times to get the Department of Transportation involved. Yeah, I think there actually are a lot more uh, passenger 
uh, benefits uh, f- for you know if there's uh, flight delays and and other things nowadays uh, that a lot of pe- people don't really take advantage of or know that even exist. Right, and if you get the DOT involved, you'll make sure that the airlines, you know, they're not going to give you free flights for a life, so don't ask for that. But they certainly will address it, and if there's compensation or other things that need to be done, uh, the DOT will make sure that you get it. Excellent, Jay. It's been fascinating, a real fun interview, and I, I appreciate your time and uh, all your expertise. Hey, my pleasure. And there he goes, and I have all his contact information if you need uh, to contact Jay uh, in the description of the show. By the way, I received an email from the communications manager of Avello Airlines just before my interview with Jay, as I've been trying to get their CEO, Andrew Levy, on the show uh, for a while, and it looks like it's going to happen in the next few weeks. So that will be great. Andrew was the chief financial officer at United. He was the past president of Allegiant Airlines. Uh, So he's really obviously connected at the highest levels with some of the biggest airlines. And I think it's going to be fascinating to talk to him about you know, this ultra, this new ultra low, a relatively new ultra low cost carrier, as well as some of the big carriers. So more in depth the in, in the airport operations and stuff uh, from somebody really in the know than uh, what we were talking to Jay about. Uh, by the way, my, my next flight is going to be to Omaha in a couple of weeks for a baton competition. Uh, it's scheduled actually, I think after the mask mandate is supposed to end on April 18th. So that should be nice. I, there's no way I cannot see them extending the mask mandate again uh, past April 18th. I, I, there might be a revolution, uh, a revolt of some sort. Um, it, it, this is just going to be a weekend trip. Uh, I think it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of thing. And then um, and then back here to home. And we still have to find flights to uh, South Bend for our daughter's national baton twirling competition. I haven't booked yet. But if it's anything like trying to book a hotel in South Bend for that time, it's going to be a super big challenge. Oh, my goodness. Um, I guess I have some options. Uh, I guess we could fly to – I want to fly to Chicago, but I guess we could go to Indianapolis. Um, It's a bit farther away. But my girls, uh, they have never been to Indianapolis or or, or Indiana or uh, Illinois. So if we fly to Chicago, they could check two states off the list. And, you know, I don't think my wife has ever been to Chicago, so maybe it would be better to fly there and – and we can take another day and hang out in Chicago so she can uh, stay there. And then my girls can check off two more states on the map of states they visited already. All right. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and, as always, happy motoring.